0: For the love which from our birth Over and around us lies Lord of all, to thee we raise This our sacrifice of praise For the beauty of each hour of the day and of the night, hill and vale and tree and flower, sun and moon and stars of light. Lord of all, to thee we raise this our sacra.
1: Our scripture reading this morning is from 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 8. 1 Peter, chapter 5, verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Would well, Let's pray with me, please. Father in heaven, Lord, we thank you so much for all that you've given us. Lord, we thank you for this time that we have, that we can come and worship you and sing songs of praise to you. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us through this service and that everything that we do here will be in accordance with your will and will be pleasing to you. Lord, we pray that you'll be with us as we sing these songs that we lift your name in praise and glory and give you glory. Lord, we thank you for The blessings you've given us lord we know that the greatest blessing of all is your son lord we thank you for his willingness to come to this earth to to teach to suffer to die and to rise again all for us lord we thank you for his words his teachings that we have a path that we can follow lord we pray that you'll help us to follow that path and to be the christians that you would have us to be lord we pray that you'll be with all those that are sick and shut in lord we pray that you will be with those that have lost loved ones or be with them and comfort and strengthen them as only you can or we pray that you'll be with those that are uh, trying to fight this virus that are developing vaccines that are helping treat patients lord we pray that you will just be with all all of them lord help them to do the work accurately quickly lord we pray that if if it be your will that there be a quick end to this virus lord we uh, pray that you just continue to be with us lord be with chris as he presents a lesson today And if there be someone here that has not accepted you and accepted your word, pray that today will be the day and that they will put you on in baptism. Lord, we again pray that you'll continue to be with us and forgive us. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Acts this morning, number 646, The Love of God. We'll sing the first and last verse.
2: As we prepare our minds to partake the Lord's Supper, I'll be reading from the book of Mark, chapter 15, 1 through 39. Immediately in the morning, the chief priests held a consolation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and they bound Jesus, led him away, and delivered him to Pilate. Then Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, It is as you say. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And then Pilate asked him again, saying, Do you answer nothing? See how many things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. Now at the feast, he was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, whomever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. Then the multitude, crying aloud, began to ask to do just as he had always done for them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of envy. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him who call the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scorched him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium, and they they called together the whole garrison. And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they struck him on the head with a reed and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put on his own clothes, and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon, a Syrian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place Gagatha, which is translated the place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. And that was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. With him, they also crucified two robbers, one on his right, the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled, which says, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself and come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests, also mocking among themselves with the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. Even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by when they heard that said, Look, he is calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge of sour wine, put it on reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that, he cried out like this, and breathe this last, he said, truly, this man was the son of God. As we begin to partake the fruit, of the, vine, the fruit of the vine and the bread, let's go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we come to you this day. Thank you so much for our many blessings, Father. Father, we come to you with the thought of mind of your son, Jesus, our Savior, who is so willing to uh, be a sacrifice for us. I pray that we can look back at this time, at his body, which was Hung on that cross because of our sins, Father, so one day we could hopefully be in heaven with you. As we partake of this bread, let us concentrate on Jesus and that sacrifice. And it's through your Son's name that we pray. Amen. pray for the fruit of the vine. Father, we continue our prayer of thanksgiving to you, Father. We say a prayer for this fruit of the vine, which represents the blood that was shed on the cross for the salvation of our sins. Father, we're so grateful and thankful for the willingness of your son, Jesus, and our Savior to be that sacrifice for us, that through him we have hope of eternal life, and without him we have nothing. As we partake of this fruit of the vine, we pray that it's pleasing in your sight and according to your will. And thank you so much for Jesus and his sacrifice. To his name that we pray, amen. Another part of our worship service, which we have a a responsibility in, is giving back to uh, the Lord and to the church here so we can spread his word and the message that he has throughout the the world. We have two yellow containers set in the back that you can place your offering in. Um, At this time, let's go to God in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, you have uh, so blessedly risked us with uh, so many things, Father, all of the material things in life, our health, our homes. Uh, our family and friends that we have Father we're so grateful and thankful for the country in which we live we know that all good things come from you Father Uh, we're so grateful for all that we have we pray that you'll be with the contribution this day Father that you'll be with the elders as they uh, determine the the needs of where these funds go pray that you'll bless this church here at Rome Uh, please continue to be with Chris and Dave as they work here with us Father thank you for all that you do and thank you so much for your son. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
1: Let's all please stand again, and we'll sing hymn number 547, Rejoice, the Lord is King. <clears throat> invitation to him this afternoon will be 356. Jesus is tenderly calling. Jesus is tenderly calling. This time, Brother Chris.
3: Good morning. It's good to see each one of you back. Good morning. We'll be studying out the book of Mark today. We're going to do, uh, we're starting a study this morning on, on Mark. Um, if you have uh, not been taking advantage of the online resources uh, posted by uh, so many in our, in our brotherhood, uh, I would advise uh, to, to look into those. There's a, there's a Facebook group called uh, Digital Connect. Maybe I'll link it to our Facebook page. I can't remember exactly what it's called today, but it's called Digital Connect something. But uh, Michael Height from the Bear Valley Bible Institute It's a school of preaching in our brotherhood, have been going through Mark. I thought, man, that that sounds interesting. I've never studied Mark in depth, and I'd like to sit down and study it with this guy who's been teaching it for, I think, 20-plus years. Uh, And so a lot of the material that we'll be reviewing as we walk through this series comes from uh, his classes. So we watch all that. Uh, I'm not going to be able to do as much as he does. He he spends about an hour and a half in 30 to 40 verses, and obviously I won't be able to do that every week. So go back through, watch those, watch those um, his classes, as well as so many others. I think they put out a, a daily class. Uh, if you want to study Ecclesiastes, they've got another guy that teaches through that class, and as well as Hebrews. So I think all those would be uh, beneficial, as well as just the, the various things that they teach through there on a daily basis. So Mark, this is maybe the most overlooked gospel Uh, If you've ever read through the Gospels, uh, you've noticed that Matthew, Mark, and Luke record a lot of the same material. In fact, scholars have noticed this as well, and they call Matthew, Mark, and Luke the Synoptic Gospels. Synoptic simply means same. And so a lot of the material in Matthew, Mark, and Luke are recorded uh, by all three authors. And so Matthew is much longer, Luke is much longer than, um, than Mark. And so a lot of times people focus on these two, Matthew and Luke. Instead of Mark, we kind of overlook Mark. And then John is over here by himself in a whole new category. John records a lot of things that the other three don't record. He's writing much later. So people focus on John. And somehow Mark, at least in my experience, has been relegated kind of to the background. But I think that is um, is unwarranted. Obviously, Mark is uh, so rich for us. And I think uh, as we walk through this series... I think it'll be a blessing for you as well. Um, so this morning we're just going to go through some quick introductory stuff on the book of Mark. Um, I hope this is beneficial for you. I want to know the writer uh, of the of the book. Uh, I want to I want to be able to see him in my mind. Um, I want to know where he's writing from. I want to know when he's writing, like what date, because there's some stuff going on in history and in the city where specifically Mark is writing that will influence his writing, and it's going to uh, inform his purpose. And so all these things that we're talking about this morning, I think are important, or I wouldn't be saying them. So hang with me as we go through this introductory stuff. So who wrote Mark? Well, you can see on the board behind me, um, scholarship says from the very beginning that John Mark wrote it. You're familiar with John Mark, right? He is the cousin of a guy you know fairly well from the New Testament. His name's Barnabas, right? So John Mark and Barnabas are cousins. Uh, John Mark comes along with Barnabas and Paul, uh, thanks to Barnabas' encouragement, all along on their first missionary journey. About halfway through, something happens. Uh, about About the time that Paul gets stoned in Lystra, John Mark leaves. We don't know if it's because of the stoning. Uh, maybe he got scared. Maybe he simply got homesick. Maybe he was physically ill. We don't know what's going on. But for whatever reason, John Mark leaves, and Paul holds it against him for, for several years. Because later, when Barnabas wants to, uh, when Paul and Barnabas want to go back through and look at the and encourage the congregations that they've already founded, uh, just a, just a few months, maybe a couple of years later. Barnabas wants to once again bring John Mark, and Paul is not having it. He left us uh, at Lystra, Is what Paul's going to say. And so uh, he's not invested in John Mark, but Barnabas is. And Barnabas sees some potential in John Mark. And so he and Paul split. John, John Mark and Barnabas uh, go back, and they do their own missionary journey. And Paul takes Silas, and he and Silas go back through, and they, do, uh, they meet the congregations that, that Paul and Barnabas founded. Months, years earlier. John Mark's going to pop up again in history uh, as the scribe of a guy named Peter. You're familiar with Peter, right? And the apostle with the foot shaped mouth. And so he is Peter's son. Later in Peter's epistles, Peter is going to write two letters to the churches right before uh, he dies. About 64 65 AD, Peter's going to be um, uh, martyred in Rome. And uh, Right before that happens, Peter writes a couple of letters and he says that John Mark is like a son to him. And so he spent a good deal of time with this young man, John Mark. He's never mentioned specifically in his gospel, although a lot of scholars think that maybe John Mark puts himself in his own gospel in the garden of Gethsemane there. And a Roman soldier uh, tries to take hold of John Mark and he's forced to flee and so uh, maybe that's maybe that's an allusion to John Mark. These guys uh, that I've got on the board for you are in antiquity, right? So Papias and Polycarp, if you can see their names, Papias and Polycarp were disciples of the Apostle John. So we're talking about very um, old references here, uh, very early references to uh, who wrote who wrote Mark. Well, the. Apostle John had a couple of disciples, Papias and Polycarp, among others. And these two guys thought that John Mark wrote the Gospel of Mark, as well as pretty much every other church father in all of history. And so Mark is as well-documented as the author of this Gospel than any other, at least as well as um, any other author that we have in the New Testament. So John Mark wrote it. When did he write it? Well, there's some things you need to know about Mark. Remember, there's some important stuff here. We need to talk about that'll influence John's or <laughs> influence Mark's writing. So, when did he write it? Well, in about 59 AD, there's a new emperor in Rome. His name is Nero. Uh, Nero's going to be an able administrator, he's going to be a good Caesar for several years. Something happens though, about 64 AD, um, he goes maybe clinically insane. Um, and he's going to just kind of go off the deep end. And he's going to make some really poor decisions and some really wild uh, decisions. About 60, well, in 64 AD, a fire takes over Rome and it's going to burn two thirds of this city. This massive city is burned down just about to the ground in 64 AD. Most people think, even in his own day, that Nero set the fire himself. To get rid of the, uh, the attention that this fire is bringing to him, he kind of looks around for a scapegoat. Now, the way, as Christianity was known in the first century, is, is increasing more and more. And it's even gotten to Rome. Uh, and in fact, it is taking Rome by storm. There are most likely several house churches in the city of Rome. Uh, and the way Christianity is is well known in that city. Now, one thing you need to know about Rome is they had conquered the known world, right? And that's an okay thing for the first century people because usually they let you do whatever you wanted to do. If you would like to worship in this particular manner, that's fine. They don't care how you worship. Uh, if you want to worship this God or that God, that God, they don't care. And so when the Jews said, well, we want to worship Yahweh, and the Christians said, we worship Yahweh too, Uh, Although, obviously, in different fashions, the Romans were fine with that. If you want to eat this, you want to associate with these people, you want to have this job, you want to go to this place. The Romans don't really care. All the way up until the point when, until you say, my allegiance is to someone other than Caesar. They don't like that. And so if your allegiance is to a king other than Caesar, if someone else has your allegiance, like the Christians, like we would say, King Jesus has our allegiance, not King Caesar or King anyone. The Romans could not stand that. And so they, uh, the Christians were an easy scapegoat for when Nero said, who started this fire? He kind of looked around and he said, well, the Christians are an easy scapegoat. And so he pinned it on them and started persecuting them in the most horrific fashion. So I don't want to detail it for you this morning. You can Google it. It's well documented. Um, but that happened in 64 AD. Mark's writing somewhere around 65 AD. And so just about a year after this has happened, when the persecution is at its hottest, Mark writes his gospel. Now, that's kind of interesting for us um, because it makes us ask the question, why did Mark write this gospel? What What is he really trying to say? Well, in Mark, you constantly see Jesus butting heads with the scribes and the Pharisees, right? And the main idea here is, who's in control? Who's going to listen to, Israel? And because the scribes and the Pharisees have had the control now for several hundred years. Uh, they are well entrenched in their, in their roles as the leaders of Israel. And So if you have a spiritual question, if you have a, a legal question... Who do you go to? Well, you would go to one of the scribes or the Pharisees. And they would be able to answer those questions for you. And so, when Jesus shows up on the scene, he says, they're not the authority. I'm the authority. You need to listen to me. And that ate the scribes and the Pharisees up. They couldn't stand it, right? And so, early on in Jesus' ministry, they want to ruin him in the eyes of the people. They don't so much want to kill him, they just want to take him down a notch or two in the eyes of the people to make him a little less uh, authoritative. They want to take away some of, this, uh, some of the attention that he's getting and some of the authority that he's, that he's receiving from the people. They're listening to him. And so they try to ruin him in the eyes of the people. And you see that in all four of the Gospels. The scribes and the Pharisees will come up and they'll ask Jesus a question trying to trap him, Right? Jesus doesn't get trapped, so uh, he ends up trapping them. But in the Gospel of Mark, you'll see this this tension between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees. And they're always at these loggerheads. They're always trying, uh, the scribes and the Pharisees are always trying to get one up on Jesus. While Jesus is doing miracle after miracle after miracle. And the crowds are increasing, and the crowds are listening to him. If you follow through Mark, and as we go through this series, you'll see... The crowds start off fairly small in the, gospel, in the Gospel of Mark, and then they keep on increasing until you get to the end where you have a Roman soldier like James read for us this morning who said, surely this man is the Son of God. He knows nothing, nothing about Jesus. He had never heard him teach. He was a Roman centurion. What good would he have with Jesus of Nazareth? Some rabbi uh, from an outlying little country town. But here... He's proclaiming His faith. And so the crowds have grown all the way up until that point, and the Pharisees just can't, they can't stand it. Jesus is taking away their authority, taking away their position, and they just cannot allow that. And so ultimately it ends up with them killing him. What you need to know is, Mark is focused on who is Jesus. He wants you to grab a hold of this fact and not let go of it. Who is Jesus? Mark records 26 are there about, depending on how you count it, 26 miracles in his gospel. 20 of them are found in the first eight chapters. Now that ought to make you sit up and, and think, Like, well, why is he doing that? Well, he's trying to prove something in Mark 1 through 8. And then he's trying to prove something different in Mark 9 through 16. I know this is kind of a classroom setting kind of feel here, but stick with me. And I think there's a powerful point here that we need to grab a hold of. Mark 1 through 8, he's talking about miracles all the time. Jesus is always doing miracles. And in fact, if you read through Mark's gospel, which I highly suggest as we go through this series, read through this gospel several times. It's only 16 chapters. Read it at night. Read one chapter at night. You can get through this thing two times in a month. Go through that put in the time here. I I think it'll be well worth your time. But as you walk through Mark, you'll see Mark using the word immediately a lot. I think he uses it seven or eight times in the first chapter alone. Uh, Go through and and highlight those. Um, I really like those scripture journals. I think I've talked about those before, but they're just the text of that particular book with an open page on the other side. So buy one of those. I think they're like four bucks. But Buy one of those. Uh, Maybe I'll post those on, on our Facebook page. Buy, pick up one of those and start marking through all these little instances uh, where Mark records this, this word immediately. I think he's trying to show us that Jesus is always on the move. He's always doing something. And in Mark 1 through 8, he's always doing miracles. Uh, and so he'll, just, just to set you up the scene for you here, uh, Jesus will do a miracle, 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 and then he'll do a teaching section. Mark posts... Miracle sections and then teaching sections. And so Jesus will do a miracle, miracle, miracle. And then he'll stop and he'll look at the crowds and he'll say, so who do you think I am? And he kind of leaves it with them. What do you think? Can, can anybody else do the things that, that I'm doing? Has anyone else ever healed the blind? Raised the dead? Miracle, miracle, miracle. What do you, what do you think? Who, who am I really? Has anyone else ever done these things like what I'm doing? Miracle, miracle, miracle. So who do you think I am? You kind of beginning to get to see the picture here of what Mark's trying to do for us. Who is Jesus? What are you going to do with him? That's what Mark is all about. Who is Jesus and what are you going to do with him? Mark's going to tell you very early on in his gospel that Jesus is the Christ, right? He is God. If you've got your Bibles, turn over to Mark chapter 1 and just look at the first verse there. As Mark introduces his gospel, uh, this is how he does it. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. He says, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, those last four words, Christ, the Son of God, are what Mark's gospel is all about. In the first eight chapters of Mark, he's trying to convince you that Jesus is the Son of God. Nobody can do the things that Jesus is doing. Not even the Old Testament prophets did as much as Jesus is doing, and they never claimed to be God. Not once. Jesus is going to do miracle, 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 claim divinity, claim to be God, and then say, Are you listening? Are you paying attention? Are you focused on what the scribes and the Pharisees are saying? Miracle, miracle, miracle. I'm God. Are are you going to listen to me, or are you going to listen to someone else? Because I don't see the Pharisees raising the dead. I don't see them casting out demons. I don't see them healing lame people. Who are you going to listen to? Who are, you going to hold a, who's going, who are you going to allow authority over your life? Miracle, miracle, miracle. So who are you going to listen to? That's Mark 1 through 8. Now, that's important for the first century folks. Because as they're being dragged out of their houses and taken to the Colosseum to be martyred in horrific fashions... They need to be pretty sure that Jesus really is God. Right? That becomes the most important thing in their life. Because if he is God, he's worth dying for. Right? He's worth whatever you have to give up not to betray him. If he's God. If the person telling you these stories about what Jesus did and what he said was mistaken, or they were misled by someone who told them these stories, or who saw these things... And he's not really God. He's not worth dying for. Right? So who is he? Mark writes his gospel to shore up your faith. And if there's ever been a time in American Christianity where we need some faith shoring up, maybe it's right now. Right? I think the pandemic has kind of got us all a little down. I know the removal of service times and, and not being able to see each other and Those kind of things have hurt us spiritually. There's no way around it. It, it, It's a hit, right? Mark's gospel helps us shore up our faith in a difficult season, just like it did in the first century. That's why it was written. It is the perfect gospel for us to study uh, during this pandemic. So that's what Mark 1 through 8 does. Mark 9 through 16 is something completely different. Remember? We talked about these last four words here in Mark 1, verse 1. Mark 1 Through 8 is Mark convincing you beyond the shadow of a doubt that Jesus really is the Son of God. No one else can do what he's doing. But Mark 9 through 16, he focuses on this word, Christ. Now, Christ is the Greek word for the Hebrew thought, Messiah. Messiah is who they've been waiting on since before Abraham, right? Since the fall, really, with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, they've been waiting on a Savior, someone to come in and to relieve Israel, from their pain and their suffering. Now, during the Old Testament times, especially after King David, the Messiah became known as a conquering king. And so he's going to reinstitute the kingdom that existed under David and Solomon, Israel's heyday, right? Gold was as common in Solomon's day as rocks were. You just go around and pick it up off the ground. Israel was incredibly wealthy. They were incredibly powerful. Other uh, countries' leaders were coming to Israel for advice from Solomon. They were paying tribute to Solomon, this tiny, no-nothing, way out there in left field, little country that didn't really have a military to speak of. Countries from all over the world were coming to pay tribute to them. That's what Israel thought the Messiah came to bring back. They were looking for a military leader, someone who's going to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem, who's going to reinstitute this golden age in Palestine. Every Jewish person thought that's what the Messiah came to do. And you see that in the Gospels. You see it especially here in Mark, especially 9 through 16, where Mark says, that's not what Jesus came to do. And you actually hear it on Jesus' lips. That's not what he came to do. Because eight different times in Mark 9 through 16, Jesus is going to say something very much like, I came to die. And even in Mark, you'll see Peter say, No, Lord, you didn't come to die. If he really thought he was God, would Peter have reacted like that? Would he have rebuked God if he had really believed? And so you get this image from the Gospel of Mark that, They're not completely seeing clearly who Jesus is. But by the time Mark is done with his gospel, they'll see it clearly and so will we. We want to know who Jesus is way deep down inside of us. And so that it affects every aspect of our lives. But even farther than that, we need to understand what he came to do. That was a hurdle for them. They thought conquering king, white horse, uh, soldier, swords armor, all that kind of stuff. That's what they thought the Messiah was. Jesus, just said, that's not what I came to do. He didn't come to conquer anything other than sin. He came to bring the fight to sin. To kick it out of our lives. Not to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. And so, Mark 9-16 through 16 is called up with this idea of what is the Messiah? And so, Mark is all about who is Jesus and what are you going to do with him? And so that's the question we've got to put to you today. At the end of Mark, you're you're going to figure out, and you're going to hear this throughout Mark's gospel as we go through it. Jesus is God, and he's the only one who can liberate you. The Israelites of the first century were looking to the scribes and the Pharisees. Help us, right? Feed us, right? Spiritually help us, physically help us. And Jesus says the scribes and the Pharisees are going to come up dry every time on that one. They can't do it, they don't have the power. But Jesus does. And in fact, he's the only one who does. You want liberation? You want freedom? That's only found inside of Christ. Now, before we close, turn over to 1 Peter chapter 5, the verse I read for us this morning. 1 Peter chapter 5, written by Mark's father in the faith, the man who had influenced Mark greatly more than any other man in mark's life mark's dad was a was a greek man we don't know anything about him other than that but peter's influence in mark's life was incredible right first peter 5 verse 8 peter has something to say to us that i think is appropriate for us to hear today in our season during the midst of the pandemic when our faith is uh, just has to be struggling peter writes these words be sober minded Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We need to be alert. We need to be incredibly careful as we try to live out our faith in the midst of this mess that we've got ourselves in, in the midst of the pandemic. We need to be incredibly careful as we live out our faith so as not to allow Satan a toehold in our lives. It's very easy. With us not meeting on Sunday nights and Wednesday nights and no Bible classes, it's very easy to think of that as the time when we are fed spiritually. It was never meant to be like that. Those are good times to have encouragement, good times to, to, to study the Word of God, to be together. We should have always been studying the Word on ourselves, by ourselves, on our own. We should have always been getting together with people to bounce ideas and talk about Scripture with each other. Be incredibly careful during this time when it's so easy uh, just to, 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 to tune in. Uh, to our online service. and Stay at home and, and not come. I understand physical concerns. I get that. Uh, I think we all get that, right? There are some people, it's just not safe for them to, to take the chance to be here. I understand that. But there are others that it is, and it's okay. And we can, we can be safe. Uh, we've been as safe here as I think we possibly can. All these um, things that we put in place to keep everyone safe, I think those things have been good and essential, um, and I think they're working. My word for you today is the same as Peter's was. Be alert, be careful, be watchful. As we walk through the rest of this pandemic, hopefully it's coming to a close very quickly, but as we go through the rest of it, don't allow your spiritual life to suffer. Because any toehold Satan can, can grab in your life, guess what he's going to do? He's going to exploit it, won't he? It's like our kids. You can give them an inch, he'll take a mile. <laughs> he wants to destroy you. It's his only goal. He's like a lion walking around looking for someone to hurt. If he's been hurting you, If he's been taking advantage of you, Jesus is the only one who can liberate you. If you've not been baptized into Christ this morning, you can make that step today. You can find freedom only inside of him, having your sins washed away by his blood. Maybe you've already made that decision this morning. You just need the prayers of this congregation to be who God wants you to be. If you have any need this morning, why don't you come as we stand and sing?
0: in his
2: Here's uh uh-huh.
1: Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and everything you've given us. Thank you for this weather we are having, Lord. And please help everyone on the prayer list and help everyone with Corona and please help them have a steady recovery and help it be quick. And please help us rely on you instead of material, materialistic things and help us strive to walk in your path every day, Lord. And in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.